0: Welcome to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast, a resilience podcast where we talk about all the challenging things that we're working to overcome like anxiety, health and relationship issues. My name is Sarah. Welcome back to another episode of the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast. Thank you for connecting with me this week. We have another episode in the parenting sphere. We're going to be joined by a mother who is also a former music teacher and now an author as well. She's going to tell us a unique story about her son and his experience with visual impairment and their journey to find answers. I think there will be much to learn from this story for parents and um, just anyone that's interested in learning about trauma and dealing with illness. She not only parented through this challenging time, but also wrote a book about the experience called Eyeless Mind, a memoir about seeing and being seen which was a finalist in the Chicago Writers Association book of the year contest in 2020. Again, thank you so much for joining me with for this episode. Like I said, it is definitely one that um, is even emotional at times. It's a lot to take in her experience. But I think it's really great to connect with this story. And there's a lot there. So join me in welcoming Stephanie
1: Dusing to the podcast.
0: Welcome Stephanie to the podcast. I'm happy to connect with you today.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Sarah. I'm so excited to be here and to talk with you about cerebral visual impairment or CVI and to talk about our story. Thanks so much for having me today. So why don't we just dig a little
0: bit right into your background um, of you as well as your family and um, sort of the motivation for your recent book.
1: Well, thank you. So my name is Stephanie Dusing, and I am the author of Eyeless Mind, a memoir about seeing and being seen. And it's the true story of how I, an ordinary music teacher, made a major medical discovery in the field of visual neuroplasticity. In January of 2017, we discovered that my straight A honor student, genius artist and water polo playing son Sebastian was almost completely blind and no one knew, not even Sebastian himself. It was devastating. He was 15 and just about to enroll in driver's ed. My background is in music. I'm a former music teacher, and um, I have spent my whole life helping people to learn how to sing. And so this was an extremely devastating discovery to make. So now what I do is I'm an author and speaker and advocate on behalf of people who have cerebral slash cortical visual impairment, CVI, as it is often called, is a brain-based vision impairment that is entirely different from ocular blindness, and um, it doesn't have a diagnostic code. It actually was identified as the number one cause of visual impairment in the developed world more than 10 years ago, and it is very poorly understood. And so my mission here is to raise awareness about CVI so that families like ours, and there are tens of thousands of them right here in the U.S., can get Access to diagnostic, educational, and habilitative services faster and earlier. My son went repeatedly misdiagnosed until he was 15 years old. And it was devastating to discover that my son could have been screened when he was three years old, quickly and easily screened. And so, my mission here is to help families to find the right connections and get these kids identified and diagnosed as soon as possible.
0: Wow. Yes, that is um, certainly sounds very challenging for sure. Um, definitely with the repeated misdiagnoses and and the fact that, yeah, if, if you would have been able to know that much sooner what was going on, obviously supports and everything could have been provided uh, more quickly. So definitely appreciate that you're trying to get this information um, out into the more like public realm, I suppose. Um, so I can very much um identify with the challenges of misdiagnosis and um some of the issues you know in working with the medical system as um I have a son who's has pandas or pans um and we've had that challenge as well so I I think that's uh very difficult. And and I certainly feel for you and, and your son during that time. Um, one of the things that you had mentioned in your description at one point was that it the person could be processing vision verbally. And I wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Thank you for asking. And first of all, I would like to say my heart goes out to you and your family as well. I know that PANS and PANDAS families suffer terribly as well from lack of understanding in the medical community and misdiagnosis. And so it's devastating to families. And so I just want to say how much I appreciate you having me on here today and how much I identify with you. So back to your question. So my son, Sebastian, is actually the only person in the world known to process his vision verbally which means that he sees with words, just like a bat sees with sound. My characteristics are tall, blonde glasses. And when my son thinks those words to himself, he literally gets a momentary glimpse of what I look like. So my son spent six hours in the FMRI for the Harvard CVI neuroplasticity research study. Dr. Latfi Marabet is the director of the study and also associate scientist at Massachusetts Eye and Ear and associate professor of ophthalmology at Harvard Medical School. He captured Sebastian's verbal mediation to process his vision in the fMRI. And he and Dr. Barry Cran, who is the head of optometrics at the New England ILO Vision Clinic at the Perkins School for the Blind, they collaborated on creating a paper which was published in Neurobiologia last fall about my son. And the reason that this discovery is important is so many things. First, we know that CVI can be an entirely invisible disability. My son was a straight-A honor student. He was on the water polo team. He had all normal developmental milestones. He took the training wheels off his bike when he was four. He actually skipped a grade when he finished the fourth grade math book first quarter of third grade without assistance. The school came to us and told us that they could not meet his needs academically in the grade he was in and we actually fought the grade promotion. We did not wanna pull him away from his friends, but we were given three options by the school and grade promotion was the least bad of the three. And so my son passed, they scrutinized every detail of you when you're going through the grade promotion process they look at your physical ability they look at your academic ability your social ability where even where you are in the family do you have brothers and sisters they examine everything and my son went through the entire grade promotion process and aced everything and there was no concerns whatsoever anywhere and in fact we never had any single individual no doctor no teacher, no friend, no family member ever once suggested to us that there was anything wrong with my son's health, behavior, or appearance, ever. So, CVI can be an entirely invisible disability. And what that means is if my blind son can be walking around looking 100% typically sighted, that means that anybody can be. And so we need to have universal screening for these families, for everyone. Every preschooler needs to be screened for CVI because you cannot tell from looking at people what they can see.
0: Wow, that's honestly amazing. Like I, I think, yeah, that's, it's almost incomprehensible that it's been missed for that long. And when you hear about the challenge that he has yeah, it's just it's just unbelievable. I'm sure you were just shocked.
1: Oh, my goodness. Yes. So what happened was um, we happened to discover Sebastian's verbal visual processing completely accidentally. We happened to be going through old photos, and Sebastian could not recognize himself or anybody else in any of the pictures. I had never heard of face blindness or prosopagnosia, and I had never heard of a CVI. And I didn't know it was possible for a human being to be face blind. I had never heard of any of it. And so I was just blown away. Like, how could you not recognize yourself in these pictures? We've been looking at them for half an hour. And I've been narrating to of, you know, because they were baby pictures. And there was a lot of people he hadn't seen in years. You know, so I was like, oh, there's your cousins from Canada that you haven't seen for, you know, seven years. And, oh, there's your our neighbors from when we used to live in the other town that we haven't seen since we moved, you know, eight years ago, whatever. You know, so it was all just me narrating, oh, this is who this is, and this is who this is, and this is who this is. And then all of a sudden, the most adorable picture of my son popped up of him, you know, about three years old, we've been looking at pictures of him now for half an hour. And I said, Oh, look, who's that? And it was crickets. He was looking at the picture. and He's like, how would I know? And I mean, my, the hair on my arms still stands up, you know, it's just like, how could you not know? Right. Mm -hmm. And my son is actually a gifted artist. And so it was incomprehensible at the time because my son actually draws and paints faces and everything else that interests him with photographic realism when he wants to. So we had absolutely no idea. And of course I immediately thought, I was like, he's not recognizing his own face. He's not recognizing other people's faces. And I'm like, I have photos of my son making eye contact, regular repeated eye contact from his earliest days. So I'm like, how could this be? How could Mm -hmm. this be, right? And the very next day we figured out that my son had taught himself to navigate by counting his steps and turns and had been navigating our own home that way without anybody knowing oh wow oh wow and it was so frightening because we went overnight from having just a straight A honor student gifted kid who was going to go off to college to now having a child where we literally didn't know if he could ever live independently mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. and it was
1: terrifying and so i am you know of course had immediately started doing research that first mm-hmm. day when we discovered the face blindness and I had ma- made an appointment with the neuropsychologist that had done a full neuropsych evaluation on Sebastian the month before for a totally unrelated concussion. And I called the office and I'm like, he's got prosopagnosia. He's got environmental agnosia. He's navigating by counting his steps and turns. All of it makes sense now. You know, we understand we had these little mysteries, you know, that didn't make sense. And we went in for that appointment. I was using the correct medical terminology to describe my son's symptoms from the very first appointment. And that doctor looked just like we were crazy and said, I can't help you. And I don't know anyone who can. Good luck with that. Mm. We bounced from doctor to doctor. And we saw optometrists, ophthalmologists, neurooptometrists, optometrists neurologists. We saw neuropsychologists, psychologists we saw traveled across the country looking for anyone who could diagnose my son with his condition and prescribe a couple of weeks of orientation and mobility trainings with a white cane. So my son was a straight honor student. He had no need of academic support. He didn't need surgery, He didn't need medication. He needed some help learning how to navigate. And he needed a white cane because we figured out at home over the course of the next weeks and months that like the vast majority of people who have CVI, he suffers from visual tiring. And if any of you have ever fainted, you know that before you faint, your vision blacks out. Right. And that's a function of blood pressure. People who have CVI have much less visual processing power to begin with, and so they are much more sensitive to fluctuations in their blood pressure, and they often go completely blind randomly throughout the day, and they have no control over it whatsoever. And we discovered after walking three miles on a 95 degree day that my son went completely blind and was unable to read his phone. My son can only navigate using Google Maps, he has no ability to recognize his surroundings whatsoever, and so going completely blind, that's life threatening. Mm -hmm. And he had to have white cane training. And so we had more than $150,000 in medical bills trying to get a diagnosis for my son. We were labeled crazy by the medical establishment. And we were repeatedly verbally and emotionally abused. I was actually physically threatened by a neuro ophthalmologist I'd never even met. This man came into our exam room furious and put his fist in my face and shouted at me in front of my kid, tell me how it's possible he can recognize letters and numbers and not faces. It's all the same channels. Well, it's not all the same channels. The way our brain works, more than 40% of our brain is devoted to visual processing. So the right fusiform gyrus, if you touch your ear and you touch right behind your ear, your right fusiform gyrus is right there on the right side. And that's where facial recognition takes place in that area. And it's very close to where um, the ability to recognize environments happens. And so people who have brain damage in the right fusiform gyrus of the brain often have difficulty or a imp- total inability to recognize faces, and often also places as well, because they're, they're processed so close together. And that's what my son has, just like the famous neuro, uh, neuropsychologist Oliver Sacks, the man who, he wrote The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. He had both prosopagnosia and topographical agnosia, and he suffered terribly from the topographical agnosia because he never received orientation and mobility training. And I will tell you, it is terrifying for people to be blind and have not received the services they need, especially navigation and orientation and mobility to have everyone around you assume that you are typically sighted, assume that you can do everything that they can do because you look like you're fine. It is absolutely terrifying. And I happen, because of what I do, I know several adults who have CVI, all of them went into adulthood without getting diagnosed. They suffer. They suffer. It's like torture for these people to go undiagnosed and not receive services that long. It's just so frightening. And so what we know now is that the only symptom that we had that my son might have anything wrong was what appeared to be mild anxiety, like mild separation anxiety in early childhood. My son expressed fear of going to visually complex areas when he was like two and a half years old. He started to say, I'm nervous, mom. I'm nervous when I was taking him to the grocery store. And of course I was like, well, why would you be nervous going to the grocery store? That's a totally normal thing to do. And he would say, I don't know, I'm nervous, I'm nervous. Well, we know that children who have CVI, who are born with it, all assume that their vision is typical because they have nothing to compare it to. So they cannot tell you that there's something wrong with their vision because they have never seen with a seeing brain. They can't tell you. And so all we had were these little weird, mysterious things. You know, my son cried at drop off every day for two years of preschool and quite often in kindergarten as well, even though he was very socially adept. He had wonderful friends that he loved in preschool and in kindergarten. He loved his teachers. He was very academically able. He was friendly and outgoing and social. And he cried at drop-off and it was completely mysterious. And I remember asking his teachers, why is he doing this? Why why is he doing this? And they just said, oh, it's no big deal. Some kids just do this. We worry about the ones who can't settle down. Well, my son always settled down right away. And so he just flew under the radar. We were Mm -hmm. left mystified. I mean, concerned, but just mystified. Like what's wrong? There was no way to tell. Yeah. So it's, it's quite um, a challenge, I think, you know, for families who are going through what we went, because I'll be honest with you, the vast majority of children who have CBI are severely developmentally delayed. They are. And as a music teacher, we know my son received intensive music and movement therapy from birth just by accident of having me for a mom. Mm-hmm. He was rocked and lullabies and bounced and twirled and marched and swung to music and danced with throughout the day, every single day. And so there are more than two decades of research demonstrating that music and movement in early childhood have tremendous neurological benefits. Music is the only known activity to science, the only activity known to science that actually forces both sides of the brain to work together through the corpus callosum, resulting in more and better connections between the right and left sides of the brain. It is also the only known activity known to science that activates the visual, the motor, and the auditory cortices at the same time. There is nothing else that does what music does for people. And so my son received, just because I think it's fun, tons Mm -hmm. of music throughout the day every day and we know there's actually two decades of research demonstrating that children who receive high quality musical and movement experiences before the age of seven they are shown in research to have better balance better coordination better proprioception which is the knowledge of where your body is in space which is really important when you're blind. Right, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> they're shown to have better. Um, what is it? It's proprioception. It's they have better language development. They have better auditory skills. They have better reading and math ability, and also better IQ scores, often as much as twenty percent. So music just has enormous benefits for children who are born prematurely, if all children benefit from music, but especially if you have these at-risk children who were born prematurely, and we know now that our NICU has improved so much that we have all of these preemies that are surviving what didn't used to be survivable, and they suffer brain bleeds, and they have cerebral palsy, and they have epilepsy. They also have CVI, and so they have, so many strikes against them. And it is one of my main goals is to help educate parents because you don't have to be a music teacher to sing to your baby. Anyone can sing to their baby. Humans have been doing this since time began.
0: Absolutely. Wow. This is, yes, you've given us a lot here and wow, such an emotional story. So many pieces to, to dig into for sure. Um, Yeah, I guess I just kept thinking, that yes, he must have thought that he was just seeing the same as what everybody else did. And so you, you did kind of confirm what I was thinking there. And oh, so yeah. he he was kind of
1: using coping mechanisms but didn't know, right? Like it's-, it's um, Exactly, yeah, he had absolutely no idea. And I had to tell him he was blind on my kitchen floor and it was the most devastating thing that I have ever done. He was, I mean, we were literally talking just about what car we were going to buy him for his 16th birthday, right? Right. Like, uh, yeah, it was just absolutely horrible. And we discovered, of course, I mean, there's just so much that he's done, that he's done, you know, using compensatory strategies, you know, it's just... He just flew under the radar in every possible way because he was smart and he figured Mm -hmm. out ways to do things that, you know, we just had no idea he was doing that way. So, for example, when he was in the history class in high school, he was um, actually the map games champion. They played some kind of map games thing, you know, it was like a compete against each other. My son was unbeatable. Mm-hmm. And I actually helped him to study for that, which I mean, its I really remember it well, because I, my son almost never asked for help with anything, you know, and here he was saying, oh, would you quiz me on this? And so I was, you know, just saying the name of whatever city and he would point to it on the map. And he knew like all of them except for like six or seven. And so we just drilled the six or seven. He didn't know. And then, you know, the next day he came back, and said, would you quiz me again? And then he had them all. Well, I didn't know what his thought process was. Right. And so as soon as we figured out that he was navigating by counting his steps and turns, I was like, incredulous. I'm like, you were the map games champion. How Mm -hmm. can you, how, how, how how does this work? It made no sense. And he said, oh, well, I mean, I just, I made it into a chart and I assigned, I forget what he called it, but like, what are those graphs called that are like an X, Y axis? Mm hmm and he assigned every he, he assigned everything a numerical value and so he knew every city's numerical value on an xy axis he couldn't see it or recognize it but he could plot it on an xy axis so here's the thing with the cvi my son is able to recognize words letters numbers simple shapes And that's why he was able to fly under the radar radar because like many people who have CVI, he has normal acuity. It is actually common for people who have CVI to have normal acuity. And so even though my son's almost completely blind, he passed every vision test every year. Because the channels of his brain, there's actually a portion of your brain that recognizes words and letters and numbers and simple shapes, just like there's a part of your brain that recognizes faces over in the right fusiform gyrus. And just by total random good luck, my son did not get brain damage in the area that allows him to read and to do computation. And so my son has a visual access to numeracy and literacy just by pure good luck. Wow. However, a lot of people who have CVI, you know, it's where you get the brain, brain damage is random. And so that isn't true for everyone. You know, Oliver Sacks obviously had was able to read and that. But it's, that's not true for everyone. So there's so much to think about with CVI and what works. I happen to know a family that has a, um, a, a child that went undiagnosed for 12 years and a past for visually sighted, just like my son did. And this family have struggled for 12 years to help this child to read. And the family's brilliant. And the child is brilliant and articulate. And they have done absolutely every single possible thing you could do to help a child to learn to read. And they didn't discover the child's CVI until they happened to come across something that I had posted in Facebook somewhere. And that led them, of course, to, oh my goodness, this is what course, that's what their child has, and is actually more severely visually impaired than my son. Well, they started Braille with their child. And in just a matter of a couple of months, this child is reading for the very first time.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, there you go. I mean, it's it's showing that the work that you're doing to reach out on this is is absolutely making a difference, at least, you know, in that family's case, for sure. Um, I wanted to dig in a little bit to some of the tools that you're using, and also to understand a little bit more about if there is a profile of who's at risk. So you mentioned premature children. Is that, is that fair? Like, is are is there a certain group that's at risk? Or is it just um, anyone who's had a brain injury? How, how does it work?
1: So CVI can happen to anybody at any age. Okay, it's caused by stroke caused by brain damage, lack of oxygen, drowning victims. So we see CVI from anybody who's ever had, you know, any of those types of situations. Um, Yes, preemies do tend to be more at risk. Although, I mean, I have friends who have extremely premature children, and they are miraculously perfectly fine, you know. So please don't feel like if your child was premature that Mm -hmm. they they have CVI. It's just not like that. Every child is different. Right. So, but there are risk factors, there are genetic risk risk factors. And yeah, so it's it, it definitely is a problem. And it's the reason why it's so common now is because like I said, we have so many more children surviving what didn't used to be survival decades ago, survivable decades ago, you know, and so they they do often have brain bleeds and they do often have cerebral palsy and epilepsy and CVI tends to go along with that.
0: Okay. Um, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to tease those out just in case somebody's um, looking for that more information. And so in terms of the tools, I mean, you mentioned music therapy and the movement component there. Mm -hmm. Um, And you mentioned uh, a few other things. I just wondered if you could could reiterate some of those so people can understand sort of the what they can do um, if they are starting to think that this might be a situation that they're dealing with
1: well thank you for asking that because there are wonderful resources now for families with questions and looking for answers First, I would suggest um, if you think that this might be a concern for someone that you know or a family member or a child that you know one of your children, I would start at the Perkins School for the Blind website. They have a wonderful CVI Now page, and it's not just a page, but it's just filled with very accessible information for parents. It's not too complicated to delve into, just basic information that can help you get started figuring out, like, is this something that my child might have, you know, and um, also resources, tremendous resources for, you know, getting started with assessments and getting started with all the things that, you know, getting a diagnosis for the child, for more in-depth information that is also very parent-friendly, but just a little bit more, um, I would say, um, really thorough if you really want to need to delve into it. Once you know your child has CVI and you really want to understand it, which is really important to understand, to help your child, you have to really understand what's wrong with them because every child who has CVI, it presents so differently from child to child, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I would go to the, CVI Scotland website. It is considered by experts to be one of the best sources of factual information about CVI and it has wonderful videos about like what it's like to see if you have CVI so you can actually see like get an idea of what the vision is like if you have CVI. That must be really helpful for parents
0: I can imagine.
1: Right, yes, yeah. because you know we know with my son, he has normal acuity, but that doesn't mean that he's not blind. He's act- he's blind, he can't recognize faces, places, objects, biological forms, none of it. So, and he also has a condition, which is one of the sim- common symptoms of CVI called Simulton So when you think about like tunnel vision, most typically sighted people know what that is, and they imagine everything being dark except for this tunnel, a little circle in the center where you can see normally. Well, simultanagnosia for my son, his symptoms are that surrounding area that we think of as being dark isn't dark. Hmm. He can see light and movement and vague blurry shapes. So it's like a big, colorful, blurry fog that is pretty much useless for anything. It's just, you can see movement and, you know, but you can't tell what anything is. And in the center of that blurry, colorful fog, there's a little teeny, my son has a tiny little window about the size of like a McDonald's coffee straw, where through that tiny little coffee straw, he has normal acuity. And through that, he's able to read. And so his vision is very much like having an infant who can read, where everything he sees is always new. Every time my son looks at his own hand, it's the first hand he's ever seen every single time because his brain does not create visual memories except for words, letters, numbers and simple shapes. So, yeah, so it's really, really important when you are going through this process with your family, you have to really try to figure out what exactly is going on with your child. And there's so many new new assessments. For example, the Perkins School for the Blind has a new, um, they call it the CVI protocol, which is a research-based, actual research-based assessment that they are developing to help with real um, tools that can help not only the parents, but the educators and everything. It's a wonderful thing. So there's the CVI Scotland, and then there's the Perkins School for the Blind. And those are the two I would recommend first.
0: Okay, that's great. That's really helpful. Um, I wanted to dig in a little bit more, too, to, you know, you touched on your experience with the medical. Um, professional at times. And and we know there's such a variety of practitioners out there, but it certainly sounded like a frustrating time throughout the misdiagnoses. And then, um, you know, in, in some of those interactions, and I can definitely identify as a parent um, of a child with pandas, because it is not frequently understood, not diagnosed frequently um you know we saw many doctors before um finally getting some agreement or even some testing towards agreement that this is what we were dealing with and i just i wanted to dig in a little more and and understand how you more personally navigated that like it takes such a resilience on the part of the parent um, and And you mentioned the research and that's kind of what I did as a parent. I was like, what can I do? I can research, I can find out more about this and know as much as I can. And so I just wondered if you could reflect a little bit more on that journey and if you have any advice for parents that might be going through something similar, you know, really in terms of any diagnosis that they're trying to um, seek, be it medical, educational, learning diagnosis, things like that.
1: Well, thank you. And I, my heart just goes out to you because I totally understand the battle. It is not fun. And I would advise all parents, if you suspect that your child has CVI, you can join the Perkins School for the Blind CVI Now Facebook group. And that's a wonderful place where you can get factual information about CVI and get connected. That would be a good place to start. So back in 2017, when we discovered my son's CVI, none of that didn't exist. (laughs) And and I had never heard of CVI. All I was working with was the symptoms that we had. And so it was very frustrating because I could find almost no information about it. And the information I did find was very often wrong. And so right from the start, prosopagnosia, I was told, you know, when in my research that I was doing online, oh, it's really, really rare. It's so rare, right? Well, it's not rare at all. It's actually super common. So, you know, so you have to be careful with your online research because like, you can find out, you know, the wrong things too. And parents need to be really, really careful also because CVI is a permanent condition. It is like cerebral palsy, It's caused by brain damage. There's no cure for brain damage. And although neuroplasticity is a fabulous thing and can do amazing things, we all have neuroplasticity. It's basically learning. And my son, you know, he had wonderful neuroplasticity that allowed him to develop this verbal visual processing, but it did not cure his vision. It concealed it. It concealed how blind he was. And so it's really, really important for everyone to understand that, you know, be careful. There's there's no cures for this. You're not going to be able to find someone who's going to be able to cure your kid's vision. And you really need to find the supports that this child will need to help them succeed. You know, there's so many therapies and things we can do to help them. You know, like I was talking about with the music therapy and things like that, right, that supports all kinds of things, but it didn't cure my son's vision, you know, no you know with balance and coordination and things like that. So as far as resilience for parents go, it's difficult. Find your tribe. I I reached out to help for help from anyone and everyone. I just was open about it. I'm like I've never heard of this. We have this problem. Has anybody ever heard of this, you know? And fortunately now there are organizations that can help. You know, there are better better Facebook groups and things like that, that can help parents get connected, you know, as I mentioned, but it it is a battle. And I will tell you honestly, as I was saying earlier, although my son's form of CVI is an entirely invisible disability, most of the time you can tell. You can tell there's something wrong that these kids aren't seeing normally because they aren't looking at things. You know, I have photos of my son making eye contact. But lack of eye contact is a big thing, and you might notice that, right? So the sad thing, I think, is that even now, children who very obviously have CVI, have a medical diagnosis of CVI, you know, they're still struggling. The families are still struggling to get educational and habilitative supports, it's the message hasn't gotten through to the educational community, to the habilitative community. It's very very challenging and this is something that parents you will need a support system. You have to find your people and you have to rely on them because you <laughs> it's going to be a difficult ride. I will be honest with you. The advocacy for everything, every service that your child needs, it it's a battle still because At the time, you know, when we discovered Sebastian's CVI, his teacher of the visually impaired had never heard of it. And we know that the research shows that on average, the average TVI, more than 50% of their caseload has CVI. It's more common than ocular blindness. And so we still have this issue with teachers not having any training in what CVI is. That is fortunately getting better, but it hasn't you know, it's not, we haven't reached full capacity yet, if you know what I mean, Mm -hmm. right? But it's a real public health crisis. And so, yeah, this is a difficult journey to go on. And it is so worth it to figure it out early and get your kid the help they need and be loud about it. And don't take no for an answer, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: which is not easy you know in a, itself that's that's a tricky thing for some parents to do for sure but yeah that's a great um call and so i wondered you mentioned lack of eye contact does it, have you ever heard of somebody um Being diagnosed with, say, something else like autism, which, you know, I know people talk about lack of eye contact. Like, is that been part of the misdiagnoses journey for anybody that you know where they're they're hearing different things? I also wondered if there are um, kind of like mental health challenges that you would say go along. You mentioned separation anxiety.
1: Well, I'm really glad you asked that question because absolutely, I know a couple of adults who are misdiagnosed with autism Mm. and they actually have CVI and it's entirely possible that you can have CVI and autism at the same time. You can absolutely Mm -hmm. have both, right? And the whole eye contact thing, but it is actually, there's a wonderful paper that came out from the um, National Eye Institute that talks about vision loss in children whose eyesight is 2020 and I'll make sure you have a link for that so maybe you can put that in your mm-hmm. notes afterwards but it's absolutely routine i will say routine that children are misdiagnosed with autism and other issues they're misdiagnosed with behavior disorders mm-hmm. they're misdiagnosed with um, emotional problems and yeah it's they're they're labeled that they're just a problem they're problem mm-hmm. kids cuz you know, children are doing everything to tell their teachers and things that they cannot do the activity as it's presented to them, right? They yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Not doing, they can't do an activity that they cannot see.
0: Right? Yeah,
1: <laughs> absolutely. Right. And and so that gets misdiagnosed as, you know, refusal, behavior problems. It's mm-hmm. it's just devastating what happens to these children. And
0: then likely medications and things like that that come and, and uh-huh. yeah, all not addressing actually
1: what's going on at all yeah, this happens all the time. It's it's devastating. And it's just tragic for these people. I have another friend who didn't get diagnosed until they were 26 years old, and they were misdiagnosed with autism. <laughs> it's wow. just, you know, oh. yeah, a huge impact on
0: life, right? Like just mm-hmm. not. and And then also no recognition of what they're actually dealing with day to day.
1: Exactly. And that's, I think is a huge issue is the lack of compassion for these kids that I see, you know, the no compassion for the suffering for these Mm -hmm. kids that literally cannot see their surroundings. They cannot, can't see their friends. You know, it's just, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but it's, (laughs) it's slowly changing. People I think are realizing that this, this is not just, you know, a rare thing. Like I was told in 2017 repeatedly by the doctors, we were told repeatedly, Oh, face blindness is so rare. There's no possible way your kid could have it. You know, Mm -hmm. and there was no concern whatsoever for my son's physical safety, none. And the sad part was, I think is that I had actual physical evidence of what I was telling the doctors in the form of two separate, um, what do you call that? Um, the neuropsych evaluations, two separate ones, one done when he was in third grade for the grade transition and one done after the concussion when he was 15. And both of them showed sky high scores and verbal ability. And then in the first one, there was more than a 20 point gap for visual spatial abilities. He was just, you know, like, a, a, like upper average in visual spatial abilities. And here is my kid who is a rocking through math. My Mm -hmm. kid never needs help with math. He's scoring in the 99th percentile on all, all standardized tests in both math and English with lower, like upper average math scores in the visual spatial testing. And I'm like, well, that makes no sense whatsoever. It'd be different if we were coaching him. However, I'm a no homework type of mom. I don't believe in it. There was no coaching going on in our home, right? He didn't need it. He didn't need any help. And so here I am at the doctor's office going, okay, there's this enormous gap between his verbal skills and his visual spatial skills. And yet we have sky high performance in math. What does Mm -hmm. that tell you? That tells you there's a problem with his visual spatial abilities (laughs) and possibly, hello, he's compensating verbally. And so Mm -hmm. those visual spatial skills might actually be lower because he's able to verbally compensate. And guess what? I was right. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right right. yeah Um,
0: there's something for sure to be said about mother's intuition and you know the i just i it's sad to me because it's so often ignored in the medical professional and not by everybody i don't mean to um to say that by any means there are so many compassionate doctors out there but There's nobody in the world that is going to drill down on the specifics of their child like a parent, right? Like (laughs) the way that you know them and you know, like just the littlest thing that's that's off or the smallest things that you'll catch. Like, it's just it's it's such a powerful connection. And it sounds like you definitely were able to pick up on things.
1: Well, and we totally understand these doctors did not receive any training in CVI. And so they had no information about it. And that Mm -hmm. is not their fault, you know, and so we're good with that. And I'm so glad because I actually recently had an email from Dr. Barry Cran from the Perkins School for the Blind, and he's using um, Sebastian's case study as one of many, because Sebastian's just, you know, CVI has a wide presentation. He uses lots of different kids to show the variety that it can, you know, as Gordon Dutton, <laughs> Professor Gordon Dutton, says, if you've met one kid with CVI, you have met one kid with CVI. They are mm-hmm. all so different, you know. So um, anyway, back to Dr. Barry Cran. He told me that he had recently done a training session for eye care professionals, 250 of them, using Sebastian's case study and other things too. And so we know that there's changes happening and that's just a huge huge thing that you know they're getting actual factual information about cvi out to the eye doctors which is so important that's what we want to make change to make it easier for other families because they sh- it shouldn't be such a battle it shouldn't mm-hmm. this getting it's a common common vision impairment this should be easy you should be able to go to a local doctor and get an accurate diagnosis it's mm-hmm. just a vision impairment it's nothing to be afraid of you know yep. so
0: no, you're right. And and that's great that the training's happening. And I know that's been a lot of the push on the panda side as well, getting out to doctors so that they're aware of how common it actually is. And so that makes sense. Um, before we wrap up, are there any other key pieces of advice or any tools that you want to share
1: highlight? Well, I'm just so grateful to be here today and to get to know you and learn your story a little bit as well. I feel Very, very honored to be invited into your podcast and to talk with your listeners today. Thank you so much, I am so grateful. And I would just ask parents if something, that niggling feeling that there's just something not right, trust your gut, trust your gut. Because I mean, for years we were just kind of going, there's just something not quite right. Mm You know, and we had no idea what it was. But, you know, we're pretty boring people. Honestly, we have my husband and I, we are best friends and we have a lot of fun together. And the level of anxiety that my son showed did not match our boring and pretty like low-key lifestyle, Mm -hmm. you know. So if you know someone who has just this absurd level of anxiety, check it out. Check out the Perkins School for the Blind and the CVI Scotland website and just, you know, did your child have a traumatic birth? Did your child, were they premature? You know, is there, have they, people suggested maybe they're autistic, but you don't think that that's what it is? Yeah. Trust your gut.
0: No, that's super, super powerful advice um, to end with. So in case, I know you mentioned a few different websites and things like that, and I can certainly link to those in the notes. But is if people want to connect with you directly, is there a best way either through um, social media, a website or email?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If they go to my website, which is um, www.stephanieducing, and it's Stephanie with the P-H and Ducing, it's D-U-E-S as in Sam, I-N-G, dot com. So it's stephanieducing.com. And there's a way to contact me through my website. If you would like to reach out, I'd be happy to talk to people. I do this all the time.
0: Okay, that's great. I will link up to that as well in the show notes. So, thank you very much. Thank you for sharing such an emotional and powerful story, and and for all of the amazing work that you're doing um, for that community. I think it's it's amazing. So, appreciate your time today so much. And uh, like I said, thanks thanks for sharing your story.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Have you read my novel Pendulum by S. E. German yet? If not, what are you waiting for? And if you have, I would love to hear from you. If you don't know about Pendulum, it's a heartwarming story about a young boy who starts to experience neuropsychiatric symptoms after an infection. We follow the boy as he goes through many regular, real middle grade issues like moving, having a crush, playing sports, also while experiencing neuropsychiatric symptoms like anxiety, OCD, tics, panic attacks, and more. If you're interested in checking out Pendulum by S.E. German, it is available through Amazon Worldwide, where you can even see a preview of the book, or you can listen to chapter one, which is on episode 64 of the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast. I hope you enjoy the novel and thanks for your support thanks so much to Stephanie Dusing for joining me on the podcast this week. I really connected with her story as a mother that's also written a book about um, a child dealing with illness and as a mom who's been navigating panda's pans. It's you know a very different disorder, but honestly, I think that challenge in parenting through this and, you know, doing what you can for your child and, and working through such a challenging time of trauma is definitely something that I can identify with. So I appreciate her so much for sharing her story and her book as well. So if you'd like to get in further contact with Stephanie, you can do so on her website, www.stephaniedusing.com. So Dusing is D-U-E-S-I-N-G. And also I'll connect to it in the show notes, but there's a specific contact page on the website that you can also get in touch with her by that so i think that's probably the best way that she recommended during the podcast to contact her and sounds like she would love to hear from anybody who's dealing with a similar situation Similarly, I would love to hear from you. So if you have feedback on the podcast, if there are topics you'd love to see me cover over the next few months, I'd like to hear from you. I'm always looking for suggestions of areas to dig into a little bit more and love to hear from those that are listening. So I hope everybody's getting along well in the fall. It's starting to turn a little bit more rainy and cold here and um, we're definitely seeing a lot of leaves coming down which need to be raked in my um in my lawn on my lawn so i will be trying to get to that soon as well but hopefully everybody's keeping well and i look forward to connecting again next week thank you for listening to the learning to slay the beast podcast please keep in mind this podcast is not intended to be medical or professional advice if you'd like to hear more from me, you can follow me on social media, Instagram and TikTok at SarahLadyGluten or Facebook, Sarah underscore Lady. You can also visit my website, which includes author information, speaking information, and more info on the podcast at www.se-german.com. If you like the podcast, please feel free to review the podcast on your favorite platform and also subscribe because it means that it will show up for you every week on your favorite podcast platform. Also, we've just started to have the ability to support the podcast. You can find this link in my Instagram bio or visit Kofi ko-fi.com slash learning to slay the beasts. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.